Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church, where we exist to delight in God, display His grace, and declare His gospel all through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can be reached at www.2bcmtv.org or by calling 618-244-1706. We trust you'll be encouraged and challenged by the message you're about to hear. Brent, thank you. Love to hear you play. Let's pray together. Father, I ask now for the power of the Holy Spirit as I preach this morning. I pray, God, for the illuminating work of the Spirit in our hearts as we Look into your word. I ask for the sanctifying work of the Spirit among your saints this morning, strengthening our faith, convicting us of sin, conforming us into the image of Christ. I pray for the regenerating work of the Spirit. If there be some among us this morning apart from saving faith, that you would draw them to your Son and give them eyes to see and faith to believe. I pray for the work, Holy Spirit, that you love to do this morning, that you would shine the spotlight on Christ, that you would show us Christ this morning. So help us now. We humble ourselves before you this morning. Teach us, we ask, as we continue on now in worship, even through the preaching of your word, we ask. Help me, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you take it this morning and open with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we are continuing on, we have the privilege of continuing on in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself, and this morning we will be looking at verses 25 through 34. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Where Jesus this morning, he is going to address a topic that I think is very relevant for us today. He's going to address here a subject matter in this section of this sermon that I think is very real, a very common struggle for many of us quite regularly in the Christian life. In fact, I might even go out on a limb to say that this could perhaps be the most common struggle you face on a consistent daily basis as a Christian, and that is the temptation, the battle with anxiety, with worry, with nervously fretting, my guess is that there probably isn't a person in the room this morning who doesn't struggle at some level at least with this. Anxiety is one of the most common universal human experiences. All of us struggle with it to some degree. All of us are prone to anxiety. All of us are prone to nervously 
fretting over our daily needs, our circumstances, the situations of life. We worry about our finances. You worry about your children. You worry about your grandchildren. You worry about your family. You worry about your health. You worry about your future. Some of you, just being in a room this size with this many people makes you nervous or anxious. But perhaps this struggle with anxiety is so subtle in your life, or maybe it's so consistent in your life that because you've been dealing with it for so long, you're not even aware of it anymore. Just like second nature to you. Or maybe you've been struggling with it for so long, you think, well, it's hopeless. There's really no hope of overcoming anxiety. Or many people simply want to attribute anxiety as just part of the circumstances of life. It's, it's a personality quirk. It's just the way I'm wired. I'm just, a, I'm just sort of an anxious person. But whatever the case may be for you, it's a very common struggle, and oftentimes, it gets a free pass. A free pass because maybe it's so common and prevalent. And because there is no doubt a lot of confusion over what anxiety is. We all know the experience of being anxious, but many of us, I think, would maybe be hard-pressed to especially in our modern day, define it. What, what is anxiety? How would you define anxiety? Ever since the dawn of modern psychology with Sigmund Freud and others, anxiety has often been looked at as a thing. It's, it's, a, it's a condition. You'll hear, you'll hear people say, well, I... I have anxiety. It's seen as a condition. It's seen as a disease. It's seen as a mental health diagnosis. That's the way it oftentimes is seen in modern psychology. But church, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus has a very different definition of anxiety. A very different definition. And he looks at it and addresses it very differently than what's common in our culture today. Jesus doesn't view anxiety as a thing you have. He views it as something you do. It is a choice that you make. And it is a sin, Christian, that you must put to death. It is a sin that you must fight. In his book, Respectable sins, confronting the sins we tolerate. Author Jerry Bridges labels worry or anxiety as a sin we often accept or tolerate as Christians. Here's what he writes. Christians often indulge in the respectable or even acceptable sins without any real sense of sinning. It's easy to let ourselves off the hook by saying these sins are not as bad as the flagrant ones we see all around us. And so sadly, we see the concept of sinning among many Christians essentially redefined to cover only the obviously gross ones. The result, then, he writes, is that for many believers, the awareness of our own personal sin, and he labels anxiety as one of these, 
has effectively disappeared from our consciences. But, he says, it has not disappeared from the sight of God. So then, how do we, if this is a common struggle among many believers, and we're prone to it, how do we fight this very common temptation? Well, here in our passage this morning, Jesus gives us the answer. He gives us the remedy. He gives us the antidote, you could say, for anxiety. And beloved, I think you'll see this morning, we're going to discover not only how relevant this is as we enter into this new year of 2024, and all of the unknowns, all of the questions, all of the hardships that lie ahead for you in 2024, you're going to see how relevant it is, but you're also going to see this morning just how practical it is as we think about how to fight it. How do we fight this very common tolerated sin of anxiety? Let's see it together. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your place there, would you stand? And I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. You can be seated. Well, it doesn't take a lot of work here. It's not very hard to see, I think, the main point of Jesus' sermon here in this section. The main point of our passage, right? No less than six times he mentions anxiety or worry or more specifically being anxious. You see it there? Verse 25 Verse 27, verse 28, verse 31, verse 34. I mean, it's all over the passage. It's not hard to see the main point. And again, it, it also doesn't take us much work either. It doesn't take me much work to try to show you or try to describe for you just how relevant I think this passage is for you. Just as relevant as it was back in Jesus' day, the, the prevalence of 
anxiety. But I, I need to first here, before we dive into this passage, I, I want to make just a few qualifications and maybe clarifications surrounding this topic of anxiety and worry. Worry. Now, I want to be careful not to make too many qualifications, and I just want to let the text stand for itself, because Jesus doesn't give any qualifications, but I, I think it would be helpful to make a few given the sensitivity of this su subject and perhaps also the misunderstandings surrounding the subject of anxiety. So let me just give a few qualifications, all right? First of all, number one, I want to reiterate what I said a moment ago, that the Bible and Jesus labels anxiety as sin. Worry is sinful. It is a sin. And the reason we know that is because three times here, Jesus commands us not to be anxious. Look there, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So notice, three times, Jesus commands his disciples not to be anxious. It's a very clear command. And do you know what we call it in the Bible when we disobey a clear command of Jesus? We call that sin. Sin. And that's the constant refrain you see throughout the New Testament. For example, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, we'll look at this passage here in detail and later. Paul, the apostle, says this, Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything. No qualifications. Or 1 Peter chapter 5, First Peter, Peter says, Cast all of your anxieties on him. So you know what that means when we're holding back anxieties, not casting them upon him? We call it sin. In fact, notice what Jesus labels anxiety here. Look there in our text at the end of verse 30. Do you see it there? O oh, you of little faith. Why is anxiety a sin? Because Jesus says it's a matter of unbelief, of distrusting God. It reveals a lack of faith. Author Jerry Bridges writes, anxiety is a sin because it is a distrust of God. When I give way to anxiety, he says, I am in effect believing that God does not care for me and that he will not take care of me in that particular circumstance that triggers my anxiety in the moment. Anxiety, according to the Bible, is a disobedience. It is a lack of faith. And listen to me. There, there, there can be a whole lot of relief in calling it what it is, Christian. Calling a spade a spade. Here's why. Because if it's a sin, then it's something that you can overcome. If it's who you are, that's hopeless. So let's call it what it is. Here's the second qualification. 
I'm not denying that some people may have some physiological conditions that increase your tendency toward anxiety. Nor am I denying that you may have been exposed, and this breaks my heart if this is true, that you have been exposed to such harmful, traumatic experiences in your life that have led you to have a greater struggle with anxiety. That's true. Some that could even need to be treated medically. And I even hesitate to say that in our over-medicated society, but it's true. Some of it, sometimes, it can be related to physical conditions, but more often than not, is spiritual. And Jesus clearly defines it here. Here's the third qualification. There's a difference, third qualification, there's a difference between anxiety and serious concern. There's a difference. No doubt, serious concern can lead to sinful anxiety, but the two are not the same. Here's what I mean. You can have serious concerns about things. You can have serious concerns about your lost children, your lost family members. You can have very serious events in your life that cause stress. You, you can be burdened about the state of the world. <laughs> you can have serious concerns about things. In fact, just go and read the letters of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, this is what Paul says in verse 28, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Paul was very concerned about the churches, and yet I think we would probably say this was not a sort of sinful sort of anxiety. You can be concerned. Jesus isn't forbidding here justified concerns you can have concerns without sinning. Rather, he's forbidding unjustified anxieties over matters that are better left in God's hands and that stir within you unbelief or doubting the goodness, wisdom, and sovereignty of God in your life. So with those qualifications in mind, Let's look at the structure of the passage here. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, notice Jesus begins with that word, therefore, or for this reason. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious, which is connecting us back to what we saw last week in verses 19 to 24. So he's drawing now a conclusion from what we saw last week. And I told you last week, if you remember, that there is a connection between how you view your material possessions, the place they occupy in your life, and your level of anxiety. You know, some people think rich people aren't anxious people. Nothing could be further from the truth. If money is your God, if money is your master, then you are going to anxiously fret over the things of this world. But if your eye is fixated on the kingdom of God, if you, if you have a healthy eye that sees clearly and you get your priorities straight, then you're going to be less likely to worry over material things, right? In fact, Jesus has just been minimizing the significance of material possessions, and so no doubt you can imagine that there might be some in his crowd there, disciples of Jesus, who would then might be wondering to themselves, okay, what about Jesus, the necessities of life? 
I mean, I get it if you're rich, if you're wealthy, but, you know, I, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got a mortgage, I'm worried about providing for them, I'm, I'm worried about my future, I'm worried about retirement, I'm worried about my financial stability. And so, he needs to address the propensity, even for his kingdom citizens, toward anxiety. Notice how his instructions here are structured around those three clear commands. Look there, verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34, all with the very same command. Do not be anxious. And then what he does in the rest of this passage then is he gives you several reasons, supports for why you shouldn't be anxious. Why you shouldn't worry. What does Jesus do to help Christians dealing with anxiety? How would you help someone? Well, he gets, notice, very practical. Go look at the birds. Go for a walk outside. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how in our modern day, where we're so addicted to screens being indoors that we're also seeing a rise, a spike in anxiety. We have, we have children addicted to screens and there's a rise even among childhood anxiety. Jesus says, go for a walk outside. Very practical. And it gets very theological. There must be something you remember here about God and about you. And really, these are all weapons to help you overcome it. And I counted eight of them. Eight reasons, eight incentives, but I'm going to, for the sake of time, combine them into six. Okay? So that's what I want to do first. I'm going to give you six reasons Jesus gives us here why we shouldn't be anxious that will help you think rightly about reality, about God, about your life. And then I want to expand that with some very practical things from this passage and other places in the Bible that will help you fight it more specifically. So first, heading number one, six reasons not to be anxious. Eight combined into six. Six reasons not to be anxious. Number one, reason number one. The reason you should not be anxious is because, first of all, your life is more than food and clothing. Your life is more than food and clothing. Look there, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then he asks this rhetorical question. Notice, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So, Notice he gets really specific. He wants to talk about your body. He wants to talk about food. He wants to talk about clothing. He wants to talk about what you eat and what you drink, doesn't he? He gets very specific. In fact, th these, these are two things, your life and your body, these two things are the primary issues that we so often worry about most. And then he next wants to talk about how we worry about what will sustain our lives and our bodies, what we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. 
And then look down at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? So he anticipates that these are the things that you're most prone to worry about. And that his disciples there are most prone to worry about. He knows this was the worry in their day as well. Among people who were no doubt probably very poor, living in an agrarian society where they were living day to day in many ways. They were concerned about the daily necessities of life. In fact, don't forget, he had just taught them how to pray back in chapter 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. He knows the propensity, their concern to worry over the daily provisions of life. But these concerns, beloved, of food and clothing are no less concerns in our modern culture today, are they? Just look at modern marketing. I tried to make a mental note this week as I was watching TV of the ads that I saw. And here's what I saw, if I could boil it down for you. Some kind of food, something you put in your body, some kind of clothing, something you put on your body, or some very strange perfume commercial, or pharmaceutical medications. <laughs> that was about the gist of the commercials I saw which would be helping, you know, the health of your body. Everything you need for your body, everything you need to feed it, clothe it, warm it, cool it, relax it, entertain it. And the same concerns then are plaguing us still today, being anxious about your life and your body. But look there, verse 25. Jesus says, the reason that you should not be anxious about these things is because your life, literally your soul, your being, is more than food and your body is more than clothing. Which I take to mean there are more important things in life than food and clothing. There are more important things in your life than just food and clothing. Human beings have a soul that will last beyond this life, that is eternal. In fact, as we saw last week, he's just been talking about the earthly versus the heavenly. He's just been talking about the temporal versus the eternal. We have... Friends, an eternal soul that will last beyond this life. And so this physical life is not all that there is. There is something beyond this life alone. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, verse 28, Do not fear those who can destroy the body, but cannot destroy the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die, to leave this earthly life, this body, is gain. There's something beyond this life. So Jesus says, don't define life too narrowly. Don't define it this life alone, because when you do, you're going to be prone to being anxious about these things. That's what he means. Life is more than food and clothing. Get Christian an eternal perspective. 
That's the first reason. Second reason. Second reason not to be anxious. Because of the Father's providence. The reason you shouldn't worry is because of the fatherly providence of God. And this is where I'm combining three of those reasons Jesus gives not to worry into one. So I'm going from six to eight. Or, sorry, eight to six. Because he uses three illustrations here to show this. Three illustrations. Notice, birds, lilies, and grass to show God's providential care for them and thus his fatherly providential care for you. Look there, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So don't worry about what you're going to eat. He feeds the birds. Or look there at verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes, here's the third one, the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, if it's, if it's temporary, if it's going to burn away, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. He closed the flowers. He closed the grass of the field. Is he not going to clothe you? So what's he doing here? Here's what he's saying, or here's what he's asking. Christian, are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling anxious about your life, about what you're going to eat, and about the provisions of the day? What's the remedy? What's the antidote? Jesus says, the remedy is go for a walk outside. Take a look around. Look at the birds of the air. Examine the flowers of the field. Go pick some grass. It's very practical. Go for a walk. Verse 26. Look at, consider, observe, ponder. The birds of the air. Go do some bird watching. You like to do bird watching? Look at the birds. Verse 28. Consider. Think about the lilies. Why? Because what you will observe is that the birds don't worry about what they're going to eat. They're just chirping and singing. They don't gather. They don't store into barns. Lilies, they don't spin their own clothing, and yet they are more beautifully clothed than even King Solomon was. God providentially feeds and clothes them. They, they experience daily His provision, and so you too must trust the fatherly providence of God that He will care for you. Why? Because if He cares for them, He is going to care for you. You, because, look at verse 26, are you not of more value than they? You are made in the image of God. You are the pinnacle of His creation. 
Not all species are of equal value to God. And we're supposed to observe how he cares for the lesser beings so that we won't fear he's not going to care for the greater beings. In fact, look at verse 26. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He's my heavenly Father. And I am his blood-bought child. I am his son. I am his daughter. And is he not going to care for me? The one he sent his son to die for, the father sent the son to die for sinners like you and me. Is he not going to care for me? Are you not more valuable? Are you not more precious to him? And your father will take care of you, so don't worry. You're too important. So notice how Jesus' argument here, the second reason why not to worry is built on two things. Number one, here's what it's built on. It's built on the idea that God is totally in control of everything that happens in the universe. Everything that happens in the natural world. He is absolutely sovereign. He is in total control. He alone feeds the birds. He alone clothes the flowers. This is not some random evolutionary processes. This is not as if he set the world into motion with natural laws and then just steps back. No, he is providentially involved. He feeds the birds. Matthew chapter 10 Verse 29, Jesus says, There is not a single bird that falls to the ground and dies apart from your Father. That's just how far His providence extends. Every bird that eats today, every flower that blooms this spring, every bird that dies is by the hand of God. They're provided for, they're cared for by a sovereignly omnipotent God. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. You are way more valuable to God than birds or flowers. You are his child. First Peter 5 Cast all your anxieties on him. Why? He cares for you. Anxiety is a sin because it is a failure to accept God's providential care and control over my life. That he is orchestrating all the events and all the circumstances of my life and in this universe for his good or for his glory and for my good. So why should you not be anxious? Because of the fatherly providential care of God. Don't worry. He's going to care for you. You're more valuable. You're more important to Him. Just as He cares for the smallest bird and flower, He cares about the smallest detail of your life. His providential care. Reason number three. Reason number three not to worry is because worry and anxiety are unproductive and accomplish nothing. They are unproductive and accomplish nothing. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour 
to the span of his life. Jesus is asking, can you, can you worry about your life in any way that would extend it? Then why worry? Worry does no good whatsoever. It changes nothing. You, you can't extend your life. You can't shorten your life even by a single hour. Psalm 139, God says he has a book, a book, and all your days are written in this book. Psalm 139, verse 16, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there were none of them. In other words, even even before one of those days of your life has come to pass, God had already predetermined the number of days of your life. He, he has already determined the moment of your birth. He has already determined the moment of your death. He has determined all of the days in between that. And no matter how much you worry, you cannot add to and you cannot subtract from those days. And beloved, there are thousands upon thousands of things that in this life, you and I are powerless to control, but God has all power to run this universe according to his providence and his plans. And therefore, since God determines the length of each person's life, then lacking food is not going to result in premature death, nor will abundance of food result in a prolonged life. No, your continued existence depends on divine sovereignty, not on human anxiety. In fact, this is why in the Bible, anxiety is actually connected to pride. Anxiety is actually connected to pride. Let me show you what I mean. First Peter chapter 5, notice here. Verse 6, Peter says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Don't be proud. Humble yourself under the sovereign hand, mighty hand of God. Okay, how? How do I do that? How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? Well, verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So how is anxiety connected to pride? Here's how. To hang on, beloved, to anxiety, to not cast it, to literally not hurl it, to throw it, that's what it means, upon him is pride because worry says to God, I can handle this better than you can. I can run this universe better than you can. I, I can figure it out on my own. I, I must care more than you do, God. So worry is unproductive. Anxiety accomplishes nothing. Reason number four. The reason you shouldn't worry is because that's what the Gentiles do. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious about 
The anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For, here's his argument, here's why, you shouldn't. The Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What's Jesus' argument? He's saying anxiety is worldly. Anxiety is what the Gentiles do. Now, the Gentiles there, verse 32, he doesn't, he doesn't just mean non-Jews here in, in this context. He, he means unbelievers. This is synonymous with unbelievers or those who don't know God, often called the Gentiles. And, and he's saying anxiety and worry over these things, over what you're going to eat and drink and wear, is what unbelievers do, not what citizens of my kingdom should do. In other words, when you worry... Or when you become anxious, what you are doing is you are living and you are thinking like an unbeliever. You're what we call a functional atheist. A functional atheist. You're not an atheist, but you're sure thinking like one. You're living like one. You're, you, you, you're, you're thinking in the same paradigm that atheists do, that the Gentiles do. Verse 32, they don't know this, but you know that your heavenly Father knows you need those things. Church, this is why it's so important that our knowledge of God, our theology, should not just be head knowledge, but it should be connected to how you live and how you think. It's not just about knowing doctrine and knowing theology. It's about thinking rightly about that doctrine and theology in a way that it shapes your life and it's applied to your life and applied to your thinking. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this in this way. He says, worry is always a failure to grasp and apply our faith. To grasp and apply it. It's not enough to just know it in my head. i got to apply it to my life. By reminding me of what I know and what I believe to be true in the situations and circumstances of my life. So don't worry, Christian, because that's what the Gentiles do. They don't know, but you know better. Reason number five. Reason number five. You shouldn't be anxious is because God will supply everything we need to do his will and live righteously. He will supply you everything you need in order to do his will and live righteously. Look there, verse 33. This is a very familiar verse I know to many of you. Maybe you've memorized this verse. Look what Jesus says, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... And all of these things, those things in verse 32, what you're going to eat, drink, and wear, all these things will be added to you. So he's saying, Christian, you need to get your priorities right. Make the kingdom of heaven, make the kingdom of God your first priority. Live for the kingdom. Live a righteous life. Seek his righteousness. As he's been describing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Live this way and God promises 
He promises that he will give you what you need. They will be added to you. I should probably note, Jesus doesn't say, I will give you everything you want, but what? I will give you everything you need. The basic necessities, food, drink, clothing. Can anybody in this room look back over your life and remember a time that God has not provided those things for you? Or wouldn't you agree that most of the worries oftentimes and anxieties that we have in life aren't over the basic things of life, like food and clothing, but over the worldly conveniences and comforts of life. Not not over the necessities, over the luxuries. But Jesus' promise is, if you seek me, if you live for my kingdom and you pursue my righteousness, I'm going to take care of the rest. I will provide you everything you need for as long as I give you life on this earth. And if I have top priority, then I think it will help you reassess what you really need in life. Finally, reason number six. Reason number six you should not worry is because we should trust God's grace for today's troubles, not tomorrow's. We should trust, believe, God will supply grace for today's troubles, not yet tomorrow's. Look there, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, at first, that might just seem really pragmatic of Jesus to say that, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't here yet. Today has enough trouble, so just focus on today. Just seems rather pragmatic maybe to some of you. But in reality, what Jesus is doing here is he is teaching us here the importance of his disciples daily walking by faith. Daily Walking by faith. He wants you to trust God for the strength and grace you need today. Daily dependency on Him. That's that's what this is about. There are millions of things we don't know about tomorrow. There are countless things that you and I don't know what are going to lie ahead for you in 2024. You don't know what's coming. Some of you may not be here this time next year. And I don't mean here like in this room. I mean like here on this earth. You don't know what is going to hold tomorrow. But here's what you do know. Lamentations chapter 3. Verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. 
That's what you know about tomorrow. Christian, yes, you will have troubles and trials today, and God will give you all the new mercies you need today not to be anxious and to trust him. And so Jesus is saying, don't go and try to borrow tomorrow's troubles when you don't yet have tomorrow's new mercies. Live independent upon him today. One step at a time. One foot in front of the other. Don't live in the future. Enjoy the life he's given you today. Worry can't add a single hour to your life. And guess what? Worry can also rob you of living your life today. So don't worry about tomorrow. Trust him for his new mercies. Today. So that's his remedy. That's the antidote for anxiety. Those six reasons why you shouldn't be anxious. So as we close here, what I'd like to do then in closing is, in a way to just sort of package it up and summarize it, apply it, offer some very practical ways that will help you fight it. Because it is a daily struggle. It, it can be a daily battle. So how do we fight it? How do we overcome it? And what I want to give you is just three, maybe four, four ways, three or four ways to fight anxiety based on what I see here. And I want to also take you to another place where the Apostle Paul explains in greater detail how to fight anxiety. How do we fight it? First, number one, by accepting God's providential will over my life. By accepting God's providential will over my life. Or as 1 Peter says, humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. He is God, I am not. He is sovereign, I am not. He is wise, I am not. And I don't mean just like accepting it, like just accepting it. I mean embracing it and seeing this as a sweet, sweet comfort. Listen to what the great hymn writer, Pastor John Newton, writes here on this. He says, one of the marks of Christian maturity which a believer should seek is an acquiescence or an acceptance in the Lord's will found in a persuasion of his wisdom, holiness, sovereignty, and goodness. In other words, trusting that in, in the circumstances God has me in, whatever they are, he is wise, he is sovereign, he is holy, he is good. He says, so far as we attain to this, we are secure from disappointment, or you could say worry even. Our own limited views and short-sighted purposes and desires may be and will be often overruled. We are prone to fix our attention upon the secondary causes and immediate instruments of events, meaning the circumstances of life. We're, we're prone to focus there, forgetting that whatever befalls us is according to his purpose. How happy, Newton says, are they who can resign all to him, see his hand in every situation, and believe that he chooses better for us than we possibly could for ourselves. 
How do you battle anxiety? You, you accept God's good, sovereign, wise, providential control over your life. Casting your anxieties upon Him. That's the first way. Here's the second way. How do you battle anxiety? By recalling and remembering the promises of God. Recalling and remembering the promises of God. In essence, that's exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. That's, That's why he's giving you six reasons here. Six truths that you should remember about God and about yourself. That's why he's so repetitive with those three commands. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Why? Because he knows your propensity to worry and he knows your propensity to forget what God has said. The promises of God. So how do you battle anxiety? Here's how you do it. You need to get the promises of God before your eyes and into your heart and mind. Get them into you. Because oftentimes, I think you'd agree, the situations or circumstances at hand that are causing the anxiety are looming larger in your mind than the promises of God. Amen? This is why Bible intake is so important. This is why Bible memorization is so important. This is why gathering with the local church is so critical for your fight, Christian. So how are you getting the promises of God into your mind, into your heart, and then fighting to believe them to be true so that you have weapons, you have have an arsenal ready when those fiery darts come, those anxious thoughts come? In fact, listen to what Lloyd-Jones goes on to say here. He says, a large part of this battle with anxiety consists of just refusing anxious thoughts. Refusing anxious thoughts. That, to me, he says, is perhaps the most important and practical of all. Faith means refusing to think about worrying things, refusing to think of the future in the wrong sense. When the devil comes with his insinuations, injecting them into you, all the fiery darts of the evil one, say to him, No, I am not interested. The God whom I am trusting for today, I will trust for tomorrow. Faith, he says, is refusing to be burdened because we have cast our burdens on him. So how are you getting the promises of God into your mind, into your heart, into your life? Getting them before your eyes. Third, how do you battle anxiety? With faith-filled prayer and thanksgiving. I want you to see this really briefly here. Philippians chapter 4. Turn there for just one moment. Philippians chapter 4 where Paul addresses this battle with anxiety in a very practical, very helpful way. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Nothing. But in everything, what are we to do? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And here's the result. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what does Paul say is the remedy for anxiety? You pray. Seems simple. Christian, is that what you regularly do? You pray. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, no qualifications. But in everything, no matter the situation, pray. Let your requests be made known to God. So he says, very practically, pray about whatever situation is tempting you to be anxious. Confess your sin of anxiety. Focus your heart on God. We roll those worries off of our shoulders and we roll them where? Onto God's shoulders. Luther says, pray and let God worry. That's what it means to cast your anxieties on Him. That's what it means to pray with faith-filled prayer. Lord, I cannot handle this. I cannot fix this. I cannot deal with this. I am giving this to you. And listen, it's really hard, really hard to pray and worry at the same time. In fact, I remember one person saying one time, I've never met a chronic worrier who enjoyed an excellent prayer life. We pray. And above all, we ask God to give us faith to believe that His providential will for you is best and to give you a heart of faith that's submissive to it. And notice how we are to pray. Look what he says in verse 6. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So we pray with gratitude. We pray with thanksgiving as we, as we look back. As we look back and see how God has kept his promises and cared for us in the past, the results in thanksgiving, it allows us to then believe that that past grace, that past faithfulness is going to enable us to trust him for the future grace and that he will continue to be faithful as well. So we pray with thanksgiving. And notice the result, verse 7. When you do that, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, the supernatural peace that the world cannot understand will guard you like a fortress, like a tower, strong tower. Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So then this is what we pray. We pray in the midst of anxious thoughts and anxiety. And it gets our eyes off of our circumstances, off of what's causing us anxiety, off of ourselves and onto God. So how do you battle anxiety? Faith-filled prayer and thanksgiving. Last one. How do you battle anxiety? By resting in the gospel of Christ. By resting in the gospel of Christ. The ultimate cure for all anxiety is the gospel. And by the gospel, I mean the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the ultimate cure. That Jesus lived an obedient life for me, and then he died a substitutionary death on the cross for me, and he reconciles me now to God. I'm now reconciled to God. And, and when, when that happens, when that becomes true... 
most of the things that cause you anxiety in life are resolved. They're dealt with. Guilt, gone. Fear of death, no more. Insecurities, I am a child of God now who loves me and he is orchestrating everything in the universe to see that my needs are met. So we rest in the gospel. Do you have that kind of peace? A supernatural peace in whatever the circumstances that passes all understanding. Because if you have peace with God through Jesus, if you've been reconciled to God, what do you have to be afraid of? What, what do you have to worry? And now your eternity is secure. So what are you anxious about today? And how is that keeping you from seeing God rightly and resting in the hope of the gospel? Father, give us grace, we ask, to trust you more. Lord, help us in the battle against anxiety to look to you, to cast our burdens upon you. And I pray, Lord, for your people this morning, that whatever circumstances and situations they're walking through in this life, that you would give them the eyes of faith to see that you are wise, you are good, you are sovereign, and you will care for your children. Help us to rest this morning in the finished work of Jesus, who is the anchor of our faith, our hope, our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you were encouraged by the message you heard. For more information about our church, visit us online at www.2bcmtv.org or call us at 618-244-1706. And thank you for listening.